Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. The date? February 11th, 1990. The place? Tokyo, Japan. The event? A heavyweight fight between the current champion, Mike Tyson, and a contender, a contender that already lost four fights named Buster Douglas. The fight was considered a warm-up for Tyson to get ready for his defending of his championship uh, with Evander Holofield. The odds of Douglas winning that fight was 42 to 1. Uh, let, me, let me interpret that for you. That means that if you went to Vegas and betted $2,500 on Douglas to win, and he won, you would make over $100,000 on a $2,500 bet. Douglas lasted longer than expected in the fight. He actually made it to the eighth round, to most people's surprise. But then Tyson hit him and he fell to the canvas like a clump, like a sack of potatoes. Surely this was the end of the fight. The referee began to count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But before he could get to ten, Douglas staggered to his feet, wobbling, and he, but he got up before the 10 count. And before Tyson could come to finish him off, the bell rung. When Douglas came out in the ninth round, he was like a different person. It was like something had happened in that break. He, he had a new vitality. He was, almost had the energy he had in the first round. He began to swing. He began to walk, go around that canvas. And he knocked Tyson out and won the fight. That fight is considered one of the biggest sports upsets in history of any sport. Afterwards, uh, a reporter was interviewing Douglas. And he said to him, you were like a different person. You, you're almost knocked out and you're staggering and in the end of the eighth round and you came out with all the energy and vitality and, and, and didn't you knock out Tyson? He said, what happened to you when you were down on that canvas? And here's what Douglas said. My mother was my biggest fan. She would take me many times to the gym and supported me and believed in me. My mother was so looking forward to this fight she died a few weeks ago. But the last thing she said to me was, son, win that fight for me. And he said, when I was down on that canvas and the referee was counting, I didn't hear the referee. I heard my mother saying, win that fight for me. And I got up. He said, that was what motivated me. 
Douglas won that fight for one reason. He found his why. Well, on that canvas and ready to quit and ready to give up, he discovered his why. And if you find your why, it'll give motivation to your life. It'll give focus to your life. It'll give momentum to your life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Finding your why and what finding your why can do for you. I am so looking forward to today's being with you. I'm just so excited to be with you. Yeah. You know, we have a history with a family going back many, many years. And, and, and now to be part of this a new group and in your first year. And I was thinking today how this is going to look at my bio that I came and spoke for you when you were in an auditorium. And within a few weeks, you had your own building. Wow. No. <laughs> no. And, and, I, and I love your pastors. I've only known them a short time. But, oh, by the way, my daughter, Wendy, said hello. Wendy Mirakami. Don't you remember her from Bellevue at Kirkland? Anyway, my, so, so that, that was personal. Sorry. Anyway, I just thought of that. Wendy said, be sure to say hi. Uh, but, they are, but they are so generous people. Uh, you know, you, as a speaker, you, you, there's things you look for that kind of reveal the character of a ministry of a church. And just one of those things is is a, a fruit basket or a bag or whatever they give you, you know. Uh, you know, if if you get two bottles of water and a bag of peanuts, that kind of tells you something. You know? <laughs> and they were so generous in the bag that they gave me yesterday. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, they they gave me a Tumi wallet. Now I don't know how many of you recognize Tumi. They are not the kind you get down to the, you know, dollar store. The last time somebody gave me a gift from Tumi, I want to tell you what you relate to. Brian Houston, Hillsong. The last time I got something from Toomey. So you got big things coming, baby. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they are so gentle. I, I didn't get a chance to ask him at the break. But I was told that somebody was actually recently coming in here to the parking lot, and, and they tripped over one of those bumper things. And, and pastor was in the lobby greeting people, and, and, and this guy comes in, and what happened was when he tripped over it, it, it caused his shoe to separate. So, the, so the, it was going like this. So when he actually walked in, his shoe was making this noise. And others observed it, but they didn't think much about it. But pastor saw it, that that compassion came out, and he asked him what happened to the guy he told him. And pastor reaches into his pocket and pulls out this wad of $100 bills that's held together by a rubber band. He takes off that rubber band, hands it to the guy, and says, this will keep the shoes from flapping. Now, that's the kind of passionate person he is. Uh, oh, oh, that's so much fun. All right, well. And this is also the first time I've ever been to a church that had a hammer on the podium. So you, you guys are so innovative. But, so we, we teach on increase. Uh, what is increase? Before I get started. What is increase? I want you to tell what increase is not. Increase is not a teaching about getting more money. It's not a money message. Increase is a mindset message. It's a thinking message. It's a, it's a teaching that, that as you change how you hear and how you see, you'll have a different way you react and a different way you feel. And that how we're pre-programmed many times in self-destructive and limiting ways, but we can change that and embrace a whole new life. 
But we only change that when we change our instinctive reactions. And so we try to get people and challenge them to change their instinctive reactions so now they can respond to things differently than they did before. Uh, let me give you an example. I, I was speaking to, to a, a, one of the seminars in the secular world. We, it was an incredible lineup that day. We had uh, Zig Ziglar. We had, uh, uh, let's see, Steve Forbes. We had uh, uh, Laura Bush. Uh, we had uh, Joe Montana. Uh, just this incredible lineup. And, and it's about 10,000 people there in the, in the convention center. And one of the speakers was the late Dr. Robert Schuler. Some of you remember him, Crystal Cathedral, right up the Interstate 5, and, and his great teaching on possibility thinking. And Dr. Schuler shared a story that illustrates what I want you to catch today of how we are programmed how we're going to react to something in, event, in advance of the event. Let me say that again. How you're going to react and feel about many things is determined before that event ever takes place by how you're programmed. And here's the story. He shared that day how he was off speaking, and he got a phone call that his teenage daughter was involved in a motorcycle accident as being rushed to the hospital. He went to the airport, got on the plane, and flew to the city where his daughter was. And when he landed... He called to see how she was doing, and at the hospital, they talked to him, and they said, sir, we need to tell you before you get here, your daughter's in critical condition, but not only that, we had to amputate one of her legs. Now, stay with me for just a moment. How would you feel? You're on the phone. And you just heard that your daughter, your son, your wife, your mother, somebody that's really close to you is in an accident, critical condition, and they just had their leg amputated. What is your reaction? And tell you what he said. He said, when I heard that, I raised my hands and I said, thank you, Father. I said, What? How could you hear that news and say, thank you, Father? But then here's what he said. I said, thank you, Father. My daughter didn't die. Thank you, Father. They didn't tell me she has a brain injury. Thank you, Father. They only had to take one leg. And they still left her with the other one. Prior to that event, he'd learned to interpret life by looking for the good in any situation. So even when a bad news came, he interpreted that and found a good out of the bad. See, increased thinkers are the same way. They reprogram their thinking, and now all of a sudden they see opportunities. They hear and they see differently. Why? Because prior to hearing and seeing, they're programmed differently. And there's a whole different world out there for them. And so that's what we try to teach people to embrace, to begin to live a different life because of that. And I want to share with you one story of increase today that is probably one of my favorites. It's, it's one, of my, one of my classics that, that I teach on. But we're going to go a little different direction with it today. It's found in Luke, the fifth chapter. Uh, you can turn to your Bibles if you have it, or turn to your iPad, your phone if you have it, or just make a note and look at it later. It's a great story. 
It's one of my favorite stories in the scriptures on increase. It's a story of some professional fishermen, not casual guys that just on a weekend take their rowboat out. But this is what they do for a living. They went out and they did the very best they could. They fished and it said they came back and caught nothing and had an encounter with Jesus and afterwards had the greatest catch of their life. Net breaking, boat sinking increase. It's found in Luke, the fifth chapter, and it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake. He saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fish were gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. And he entered into Simon's ship and asked him to thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he speak, finished speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for great increase. And Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have fished all night. Now, I want you to notice something. It's a characteristic of people that have turnarounds. It didn't say we fished a while and got discouraged because nothing was happening and went home. It said we continued to try. Even when we put it down and had failure, we tried again. But we tried all night and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, it's not my subject today, but I would ask you this. What causes you to change direction? Is it when you feel like it? If you want to have a successful life, Learn to change direction when you recognize God's voice. Even when God's voice contradicts natural evidence. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they has thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fish, so much so that the net began to break. They beckoned other partners from the other boat that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so much so that the boat began to sink. Net breaking, boat sinking, increase. Now, normally I would teach on the direction of one of two ways. I would talk about the changes that Jesus had to make that enabled him to go from empty nets to, to great increase. Or, or I might teach on what caused them to, to change their direction from going home to going back out. And the mental part of it is a great teaching. But today I, I instead want to go a different way with you. And I want to talk about their why. And understanding that, how that relates to you and where you are today. So let's go back now. They're in this boat. The, 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 the fish, they've never seen anything like this. You, I hope you could, you could visualize it. The nets are so full. They can, they're, they're pulling in. The, now the boat is all full. There's fish all over. They don't even have any room to stand and walk. The nets are still full. The weight is so much that it's starting to pull the boat under. They can't reduce the weight because the fish are in the nets and the boat's beginning to sink. What do you do if you're in a boat it's in danger of sinking. What do you do? What is your instinctive, natural reaction? Number one would be, we've got to try to get this boat to shore. We've got to try and save the boat. 
Because without the boat, their careers are over. So we got to try and save. More important than the fish is the boat. So we got to try and get the boat to shore, save the boat. Number two, we have to save our lives. If the boat sinks, we could get trapped in these nets with all this fish and the sinking. We could drown. We, we got to get to shore to save our lives. Number three, all we have is fish. We don't have money. We have potential increase. It doesn't become increase until we sell the fish. An exchange has to take place. And where does that exchange take place? On land. Save the boat, go to land. Save our lives, go to land. Get our money, go to land. So their instinctive reaction should have been figure out a way to get to land. That isn't what they did. Look what it said they did in the seventh verse. Instead of looking to land, they looked around and found an empty boat that was near them. They called that boat over, and now not one boat is full, two boats are full. And in that, we find the reason for increase. God wants to increase you, not just so your boat can be full. He wants to increase you because there's empty boats around you that need you to help them. That's why he wants to increase you. And when you understand that why, there's a saying I, I teach in the seminars, and it goes like this. The person that knows how to do a job well will normally stay employed. The person that knows why will normally be the boss or the owner. See, when you know the why of something, you can apply it into other areas. When you know the why of something, you can take the place of the boss if he's gone. Example, I had years ago, my youngest stepdaughter, Julianne, uh, she had a friend that she'd known from when she was in youth group back in Tennessee. And uh, when we got over to Hawaii a week before our event, uh, she found out that he was over there. They were, they, that he and some friends decided this great idea that they could go over to Hawaii and do a country band and people would really want it because of different kind of music. Uh, it wasn't working out too well. <laughs> uh, they were living in a tent on the beach and starving. But Adam came to visit us at the hotel and I was so impressed with him and found out he had some tech skills from being in the youth group. So I just said, Adam, I said, uh, why, don't you, why don't you come over with me next week and I'll pay you and, and, and work the event. Help me with the cameras and stuff. So Adam came over and I just was so impressed with this young man that uh, he, he was always trying to do extra. Uh, you know, if, if, he, if, if you were watching him or not watching him, he was the same attitude, same kind of work ethic. And, and so when, when the week was over, I said, Adam, if this thing doesn't work out over here, which I didn't think it would, when this thing doesn't work out over here, I said, if you need a job, give me a call. He said, what would I do? I said, I don't know. I don't have a job position for you yet, but I'll hire you anyway. Because see, it's the, one of the hardest things to do is find good people. So if you find a good person, you hire them, then come find the, work out the job later. <laughs> so several weeks later, he calls me, you know, kind of, uh, it didn't work out. And so we moved Adam there and just started making tapes, cleaning up, doing things, special projects. And he worked his way up until he became my ballroom manager at our events. One day, I walk up to Adam, third day of our event. 
I say, Adam, I said, today, get somebody else to do what your responsibility. I want you to do something different today. He said, what's that? I said, today, I want you just to walk around the ballroom with me. Why? He said, I want you to see what I do. I want you to hear what I say. And then I want you to ask me why if you don't know why. He said, why am I doing that? I said, because you've gone as high as you can go knowing the what. You're going to only go higher when you know the why. Because when you know the why, you can run the ballroom when I'm gone. I need people, somebody that knows the why. See, that's the power of the why. So why does God want you to increase? He wants you to increase because he's looking for walking blessing machines. I was in the elevator yesterday, and this guy was, and I don't know why he talked to me about this. He's coming down the elevator, and he says, oh, my goodness. He said, I got to go try and find an ATM machine again. He said, I'm always having to go to the ATM machine, and all I need is $50, and they're probably going to charge me 5 or $10 to get my $50. He said, aren't you frustrated with ATM machines? I said, no. I said, I am one. I said, I don't use them. I am them. I said, because I've trained myself to carry the money I need. You know, rather than have to owe all these fees and lose my time and chasing it, whatever. But I don't just carry that money to, to, to have money. It is a stress reducer. It does feed my emotions because if you have money in your pocket, you're emotionally telling yourself you're not broke. And so I think feeding yourself with positive emotions is important. If you have no money, you're, you're fighting the emotions that I don't have anything. So now you're trying to have success while your emotions are telling you you're broke. So it's good to have something in your pocket for another reason than to feed yourself emotionally. But I carry the money in my pocket because I'm a walking blessing machine. I have to be able to respond when God speaks to me. And, and I have to be able to respond like he speaks to me. Uh, let me give you an example. I, I, you could carry any amount that you want. Start wherever you want. I teach the leaders that they should carry $100 bills. Uh, and I'll tell you why. I, I found that $100 bills, uh, well, money talks. How many of you know money talks? $100 bills scream. Other money talks. Uh, there's something about a $100 bill. You, you notice that when somebody sees 100 their eyes get bigger. There's a certain expression in the face. I don't know what it is, but it just has that magical effect. And so I said, if I'm going to do something, one of the secrets of increase is you create memory moments. If, if I'm going to do something, why not create a memory? I mean, just go a little bit extra and, and make it extraordinary. And so I carry them. You say, well, well you know, I, I, I only need one. People see the $100 bill. You don't know what's behind there. It could be, it could be all hot $1 bills. I could be flat broke, only a few hot $1 bills. No, but, but I have to have an inventory so I can give out of my inventory. Uh, i give you one example. And, uh, uh, I was in Walmart a few years ago, and it was three days before Christmas. It was in uh, Tulsa. And uh, we had two bags, shopping carts of things, getting gifts and getting food and all this stuff. So it was taking a while with this cashier. She was the most friendly, nicest lady, just bubbly and happy and talking. So we kind of got in a conversation with her because there's so many things, you know, she's doing. And I found out that she was a single mom. She was attending ORU Graduate School of Theology. She was training to go on the mission field. Two children at home. And it didn't take me but a moment to figure out a single mom, graduate school of theology, working part-time, finances are tight for Christmas. 
So as I was getting ready to leave, I walked into my, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out one of my $100 bills and said, I want to show you a picture of one of my best friends, Ben. <laughs> if you don't, Ben's on the $100 bills. I said, and Ben wants to go home with you. I said, and Ben wants to buy your kids some Christmas presents. Now, now that, that's, that's my lifestyle. So it's not some like wow thing I do. But, but sometimes God wants you to see that what you're doing is making a difference. And this was one of those times. Two years later, I'm around Christmas time walking in the Woodland Hill Malls. Somebody stops me, Bob Harris, and I come over and I say, yes, yeah. He says, oh, I was at your seminar. I just want to tell you, thank you so much. It was so great. I said, thank you. <clears throat> and then I, I'm walking with my wife. He go a little bit further. And somebody says, are you Bob Harrison? I said, yes. Oh, I listened to your CDs on increase. Thank you. They, I said, thank you. Then we finally get to Macy's. And a third person comes up to me, this lady. She said, you don't remember me, do you? Now, that's an embarrassing one, you know. And I said, I'm sorry. I, I, it's not that you're not important, but I see so many people help me. She said, Walmart, Supercenter, two years ago. I said, wow, how are you? She said, I'm great. She said, I just wanted to tell you, I, I graduated. I, I've been in the mission field now for a year and a half. I'm back here uh, for two weeks over Christmas. And I want to tell you, that $100 made our Christmas. I felt so impressed, I gave her another 100 my, my wife turns to me and she says, I, I, I feel like I've been to a church service, two testimonies and an offering. <laughs> but that's what God wants us to be. Now, now, let's come back to this for a minute. I'm saying your why is to be a blessing. And you're saying, but Bob, I need a blessing. Bob, I'm that lady that needs $100 given to me. I'm telling you how to get out of that situation. Because, see, if you want to have the supernatural working in your life, you've got to work his plan, his laws. And God says he gives seed to the sower. Say with me, seed to the sower. Now, now I want you to catch this. It doesn't say, I give seed so you can be a sower. I give seed in response to you already being a sower. In other words, when you make a decision that you're going to take your focus off of yourself and off of your needs and what's in it for me, and you're going to put a focus on I'm going to figure out a way to be a blessing in some way, shape, or form, and if I can't give money, I'll give time, and if I can't give money, I'll give volunteer service, but in some way, I am going to get my life to be a blessing and a help to other people. And when you get that focus, something happens. He gives seed to the sower. He returns to you. He says, how does that happen? It's the same way if you give blood. How many have ever given blood? I don't want to embarrass anybody. Okay. But if you go down to the blood bank and give a quart of blood, does that mean now that you're going to have to learn to live your life with four quarts and not five? No. I mean, you, you, in the natural, you say, you see the blood, it's in the, it's, they, they took it out of you, they're taking it away, it's gone. 
You just lost a quart of blood. That means you only got four left. No. Immediately, your body goes to recreate blood. And within 48 hours, that blood is back in your body again. Why? He gives blood to the giver. He gives seed to the sower. And when you start sowing, the God immediately causes that to come back into your life again. In life, you do not attract what you want. In life, you attract what you are. Let me say that again. In life, you do not attract what you want. In life, you attract what you are. So if you want to have more of something in life, become the thing you want to attract. You want to have more friends? Become friendly. You want to have more money? Become a giver. Because you'll attract what you are. The liberal person shall be made rich by watering others. They water themselves. So I challenge you. Number one, in a few weeks you're going to have an opportunity to plant a seed into this church for their expansion. Think about what that seed's going to do. It's going to enable you to leave a rented facility with the trailers and the setup and all this temporary thing and have a permanent home. Just having a permanency and stability attracts people. People are attracted to stability. So that's going to attract new people. It's going to, it's going to t- t- reduce a lot of stress on the, on the staff. It's also going to enable you to have more visitors. More visitors means you could have friends that you don't even know now. They're going to show up in a few weeks because you gave. Not only that, because you have a printed facility, more people are going to accept Jesus as a Savior. You're going to start impacting the community and changing the community that you live in. But not just that. It's going to bless you. Because as you sow, God is going to return it back to you. So I want to encourage you, start thinking now, what can you do beyond normal in that offering? Start thinking about it, praying about it now. Don't just come in here and just make up your mind when they're talking. Start thinking about, what can I do extra? Because the Bible says if you sow more, you, give, you get more. But don't just wait till then. I want you this week to be sensitive to needs around you. I had a couple, they texted me yesterday. They went out to help this family that uh, whose home was flooded during the Tulsa floods uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, they, they were helping with the furniture and stuff, and they found out that the three kids, their bicycles had gotten flooded. They were rusted. The chains were rusted. The seats had mud in them. They couldn't use them. And so in addition to what they already were going to do to help, they went down to Walmart and bought those three kids new bicycles. But then they found out that the other neighbor kids had the same problem with their bikes. And rather than just saying, oh, I just got three bikes. We just did this. This isn't as wonderful as posted on Facebook. They found out that the neighborhood kids needed bikes. They went down to Walmart and got 150 bikes and replaced the bikes for every one of those kids in that flooded neighborhood. See, that's what I'm talking about. Now, maybe you can't do 150, but could you do one? Maybe you can't do a bike, but could you make a difference to somebody? Maybe they're buying groceries and they're having, and the food stamp money isn't enough and you could help them out? Maybe you see a disaster on, on TV or whatever and you could respond in some way. Start becoming the thing you want to have happen to you. And every time you respond, you start making it you. 
because it's the liberal person that becomes rich by watering others, you water yourself. So my challenge to you is every one of you have a why. You know what your why is? Making a difference in the lives of those around you. And when you discover that why, your life is going to take on a whole different dimension. How many are willing to do that more than ever before? You're going to work your why. Let's say this together. Father, I come to you today, and I thank you for your word. And your word clearly shows you want me to increase. And one of the ways I increase is by being liberal. So I determine today, more than ever before, I am going to be a generous person. And I thank you now, and I praise you for the increase that is coming my way. Now praise and thank you for that increase. Hallelujah, Father. We praise you. We magnify you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord, for that increase. Find two or three people around you and say, I'm ready for increase. Like never before. I'm ready for increase like never before. I want to end with this one thought. You get a bonus the other service didn't get. I shared this story for years. And then one day, a question came to me that I hadn't thought about before. Something I just presumed. I just, I, I didn't question it. And then I read the story and I, I asked myself this question. Why? Did Jesus go to that boat and cause and tell that boat to go out and get the increase? Because, see, if I could find out why he went to that boat, maybe I could find out how to get him to come to my boat. And I got to thinking about it. I don't believe there were just two boats on the shore that night, that day, that morning. Because, see, they were commercial fishermen. They were fishing to bring food to the city. So there had to be a fleet of boats. Two boats aren't going to feed a city. So I believe there were boats all along the shoreline. But Jesus walked by those boats to come to these two boats. That one boat in particular. Why? What was the thing that attracted him to that boat? And I pondered that. There's got to be a reason. It wasn't just an accident has to be a reason he came to that boat. And then I went back to my understanding of instinctive reactions. If you want to find out what somebody's really like, watch what they say and how they behave in times of fear, in times of stress, in times of sudden change. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. So let's go back now. They're in a boat that's in danger of sinking. Fear, stress, Sudden change. And what comes out? Not save ourselves. Let's be a blessing. What does that tell me? That tells me that this was not a one-time thing. That tells me that prior to this, they were already givers. Because what they were came out in that time of fear and stress. And that's the reason why Jesus chose their boat. Because he walked by the boats of the non-givers to find the boat of the giver. And he said, that's the boat I'm going to bless because they will make a difference and they will share their increase with others. And when you decide to be a blessing, God is going to pass other businesses. The people cause people pass other businesses, other homes. And he's going to say, that's the one I want to bless. Bring them the supernatural increase. That's what I'm believing for you. God bless you. It's been great believing you. 
Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.